Hello again. Welcome to Tell Me. Today I'm talking with Kia Williams, the co-founder of Serum. Serum is a nonprofit organization solving one of America's most pressing issues, medication access. This is the second part of my series on medication access. If you missed it last week, I spoke with my co-founders of Better Remedies, a new brand of affordable, over-the-counter drugs. One of the things we do at Better Remedies is help out brands who are doing great things in the area of medication access. Kia and Serum focus on redistributing unused, unexpired drugs to clinics in need across the U.S. Kia has been recognized for her work at Serum as a Forbes 30 Under 30 social entrepreneur, America's 50 Most Influential Women by Marie Claire, and listed in Silicon Valley Business Journal as 40 Under 40. She's doing incredible work, and I was really happy to speak with her about her work and her life. I think you're going to love it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Kia, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. So Kia, congratulations on all the recent accolades you've been getting, I have to say. I first learned about you when I partnered up with Livio and Jen for Better Medicine. And before that, I had no idea that your program existed or that there was this real problem with respect to people getting medicine that they need. I mean, we all know how expensive pharmaceuticals are. And we know it's a problem, but unless we're very closely confronted with the issue, unless one of our family members has diabetes or needs some life-saving medication on a daily basis that they cannot afford, most people don't think about this problem of medication access. So what you're doing is so game-changing and necessary, and I'm really excited to talk to you about this today. Thank you so much for taking an interest in this work. You know, I think one of the big challenges that we face as a country is around health equity. It's around making sure that people have what they need, the health care, the medication access that they need to not just survive, but to thrive. Like you can't do anything without your health. We can't get educated. We can't get jobs. We can't have dignity without everyone having access to the health care that they deserve. And this is one of the most pressing problems in this country. And I think that the coronavirus has really kind of double clicked on that for people in a new way is that we do not have an equitable healthcare system. And the people who are being left behind, who are being most impacted by this are black and brown communities, our low income communities in this country. So Kia, why don't you take us back and introduce us to Serum, how you got started and what led you on this path? Would you tell us what Serum is? I would love to. So Serum is a 501c3 nonprofit. So we are a nonprofit technology company. People, I think, aren't necessarily aware that there is tech for good. We are a tech for good platform. So in this country, we have a huge disconnect between 5 and $11 billion of unused medications that go to waste every year. 5 and $11 billion. That's with a B. With a B. Billion with a B. 
And I am not talking about the medications that are in your cabinet right now, sitting in a little bottle, like a small antibiotic that you got post, you know, infection or something like that. I am talking about medications that exist in the supply chain from manufacturers to wholesalers, to pharmacies, to hospitals, like these are in institutional settings. And so this medication is unused unexpired. And we're also not talking about any medications that are controlled like opioids. So these are medications for diabetes. These are medications for heart disease. These are medications for mental health. And currently the de facto is we throw them away. We put them in incinerators. In some instances, Ellen, we actually flush them down the toilets in institutional settings. So these medications are going into our groundwater and they're going into our air because there's no really good way of kind of getting rid of those medications. And so instead of having those medications go to waste, we essentially put a recycling bin in all of these different types of facilities. If we can recycle a 10 cent can, we can recycle a $1,000 medication so that someone can be healthy and be alive. And so we use technology. We have an online platform that connects all these sources of medications, and then we link them to a network of charitable clinics and pharmacies throughout the country. And so these medications go for their intended purpose, which is to help someone stay alive and to thrive. And that is kind of our bread and butter of our work is really trying to make sure we can match those billions of dollars of medications. You know, in the United States, about one in four people report skipping a medication due to cost at some point in the last year or so. So this is a prevalent issue that many, many people in this country experience. And hardest hit are really the 10 million low-income folks who have a chronic disease or chronic condition like diabetes, heart disease, et cetera, who can't afford the medication that they need because the prices are just too high. So take me back to how you got started. How did you become aware of this issue? And where did your passion for this issue start? I mean, it's such a brilliant idea and such a necessary service. How did you get this idea? And how did you start on this path? Yeah, I am super, super grateful to have two co-founders, Adam Kircher and George Wong. And we all met in the way that many, maybe it's a little bit ironic, but in the way that many tech startups, but ours is a tech startup for good met, is in dorm rooms. I met my co-founders through Stanford and the original idea for using a platform to redistribute medicine came from my co-founder, Adam. But for me personally, I was supposed to be the first doctor in my family. So I grew up in Philadelphia. I was good at math and science growing up. A lot of times when you're good at math and science, you like to help people. They say, hey, you go be a doctor. So on that journey, you know, on a personal level, just seeing family members, community members, just not be able to afford the medications that they need and the treatments that they need. It really does cause a huge, huge, huge issue for families. And so I had a deeply personal connection to the issue of health equity and honestly, like the inequalities that we have in this country. So in my mind, when I was younger, I was going to go be a doctor and that would provide a lot of financial safety net, security, be able to give back to communities like the one that I came from in West Philadelphia. So I was on my way to some extent to becoming a doctor. And as I kind of volunteered in clinics and saw kind of the inner workings in healthcare, and what I would see is someone who got diagnosed by a physician and goes out into the world because we don't spend most of our time in the doctor's office, ideally, right? We go to the doctor's 
they may say, hey, yeah, you have this condition, like you need to take this medication. But too often, what we'd see is people couldn't afford it. And I think that made me both incredibly sad, but also incredibly angry. Because you and I would not walk into a grocery store, pick a bunch of food, and then not know how much anything costs, and then go up to the cashier and then have someone give you a bill. But in the US right now, in our healthcare system, like you don't know how much it's going to cost until you get to that pharmacy counter. And so drug pricing is not transparent. Like people don't know what they're going to pay. It's not fair. It's not fair that you don't know how much something costs until you get up to the counter. And too often than not, what happens is someone gets to the counter, they're given a price, it is too expensive, and they walk away without it. And so for me personally, just seeing that happen kind of again and again, there's got to be a better way. And what is, I think, incredible about this country is that we have so many resources. So why can't we take the billions of dollars of unused medicine that already exists and get it to people who need it. And so I think that became a little bit of the aha moment. Now, clearly the kind of devil's in the details of all the technology and policy and and regulations, but we have so many of the tools we need right now to make significant, significant improvements in our healthcare system. All it requires is for someone to act. And I think like myself and my co-founders, we were either excited enough and honestly a little bit naive enough to just say, if not us, who? If not now, when? And so I actually had gotten into medical school, deferred, deferred, and then kind of had this internal self-reckoning of, I loved seeing patients. I loved that clinical experience, but you know, how do we really change systems? You know, How do we change systems for thousands and millions of people? And that kind of set me on this path to try to do just that. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I think it's an incredible story. Health equity is also a real passion of mine. And I've only become aware of it through, you know, playing a doctor for so long that I've taken an interest in the healthcare system and I've taken an interest in doctors and nurses. And in the inequities in healthcare are just too big to ignore. What kind of doctor did you want to be? <laughs> so I will say that I am a long time early on Grey's Anatomy fan. So I feel like I got swayed a little bit. At one point, I thought I wanted to go into neurosurgery. And then kind of later on realizing, you know, that the glitz and glamour of a TV show was not the same as working maybe, you know, 100 hours a week. <laughs> and I also recognized that might be my personal dexterity was maybe not up to par with that line of work. I thought I wanted to go into primary care. 
So being a family physician, internal medicine doc, something really focused on working with adults predominantly on complex, you know, medical issues, chronic conditions, et cetera. I think so many people in this country are just not living a life that is making them well enough to be able to achieve their hopes and dreams. And I thought that primary care and working with patients kind of on the everyday would be something that I would have enjoyed. Yeah, I think you still can do it, obviously. You'd be really good at it. You have such a kind way about you. And I think that one of the problems in the healthcare system, one of the many problems, is that I think doctors are too busy, you know, to really give time to the patients, even if they care. I don't want to say doctors don't care. Primary physicians don't care. Of course they do. But it's just the way the system is, the way the system works, it's very hard to give a lot of time to patients and to ask patients, what are you eating? Are you sleeping? You know, what do you do for yourself? Are you getting, you know, enough me time or whatever it is? So it does take, specifically, I feel for primary care physicians, it takes someone who really does have a lot of empathy and care. You know, it's funny because when I used to do neurosurgery scenes on the show, we sometimes use real animal brains. For anyone who has never, it's so incredible. And I just had Sanjay Gupta on, and I'm a huge fan of his, and he's a neurosurgeon, among all the other jobs he has. But isn't it so fascinating how, you know, when you look at the heart or any other organ, it's like a very solid thing. Like the heart is just a big ball of muscle with the different chambers and other organs, livers, kidneys, they're just really solid. The brain is almost not solid. It's like somewhere in between, I don't want to say like gelatin. I don't even feel like it's that solid. To get up close and like even fake a neurosurgery is like, wow, like how this is our computer, you know, the computer for our whole entire body. And it's almost close to liquid. It's kind of wild. I think neurosurgery is is a really amazing specialty. It's like so intense. But I'm glad you're doing what you're doing instead. So back to Serum and back to this program you created. Where specifically are all of this stockpile of medication, where is it? And what does your process look like? You call them up or? Yeah, so generally speaking, there's two reasons why there's surplus medication in this country. One is just a little bit of planned overproduction. So, you know, I think even through this pandemic, we're seeing that the global supply chain uh, is a real thing and delays cause delays in treatments. And so basically at a high level throughout the entire supply chain, everyone kind of overproduces a little bit. You've got your forecasted amount that you're going to sell and then everyone pads their inventory a little bit there because the cost of pharmaceuticals is largely in the research and development. It's not necessarily in leaving machines on and production going. So there's just like a little bit of built-in surplus that exists, period. The second reason is because of patient-level events. So like human beings, as you know, you mentioned, the brain is this complex and has all of these different surfaces and is very complex and feels weird and looks kind of different. You know, similarly, the human body and how we treat people varies. So someone could be on a dosage of a medication in a nursing home, let's say, and that dosage change gets moved. Someone could order medications from a mail order pharmacy and their doctor takes them off of a medication and they no longer need it. So there's all of these individual patient reasons, whether it's a dosage change, getting off a drug therapy, whether someone is discharged from a facility that results in a lot of this surplus. 
So when you kind of band that all up together, this is where the billions of dollars of medicine, it's that little bit of surplus that exists in the supply chain just because we need it, just in case someone is under forecasted the demand. And then it's all these patient level events because human beings are different. Our bodies respond to different medications differently. And so those are the two sources of medications. And so what we do is we go into, whether it's a nursing home, assisted living facility, a pharmacy, a wholesaler, a manufacturer, and say, hey, like we can implement the equivalent of a recycling program. So we can put a bin in that facility and say, instead of sending it to an incinerator, instead of throwing this away, put it in this recycling bin. Use our technology, our platform, When you're ready to go, you can go on our website, let us know that you're ready for pickup, and then we'll coordinate all of the logistics. So a courier pickup next business day, medications then get transported directly to a charitable clinic or pharmacy that we partner with. And we handle all of the logistics paperwork to make sure that those organizations who are donating know what they can donate and where they can donate. And so that's kind of the supply side where this all comes from. And I think just a lot of people aren't aware of how big our healthcare system is and how complex it is that it's not just, you know, a hospital and surgeries. There's long-term care in in nursing homes. There's the subacute care center you stay at before you're, you know, able to go home, but you're not quite sick enough to be in a hospital. Like we have a very complex healthcare system and very large and robust one. And because of that, there's just a small amount of surplus that exists at every single level. But our healthcare system and healthcare in this country is almost 20% GDP. It's a huge, huge industry. So even a small percentage of surplus through all of those thousands of entities, that's what adds up to these billions. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What does your process look like? Do you just get a list of every hospital and you just start calling them? Who handles the medication at the hospital? Who is that person? Yeah, at a baseline, what we do is we do try to partner with organizations, associations for hospitals, for healthcare facilities. And we do, we try to go kind of one by one, or if it's a larger corporate entity, we'll kind of talk to, you know, the C-suite there and try to roll these programs out across all of their buildings. 
And generally speaking, the people who are doing this work tend to be nurses. It tends to be a technician. You know, it tends to be frontline healthcare workers who have patient care responsibilities, who are taking care of patients. And this is just one of the things that they do is how do we handle the surplus medicine? And I can't tell you how many times we have heard nurses say to us, you know, I've been in this industry 20, 30 years. And it broke my heart to have to throw this medication away when I know one mile down the road, you know, someone could use this. So it's honestly the strength of frontline healthcare workers and a lot of their desire and passion to help people and to continue helping people that's really been able to advance our work because a nurse became a nurse to want to help people and have them be well. And so if we can provide another opportunity for them to do so, they're just bought in. Really, it's how do we make it as easy as possible for people to do the right thing? And I think that's been one of the most compelling things about doing this work, Ellen, has just been super busy doctors, nurses, pharmacists, technicians, medical assistants. They all want to do the right thing. All we have to do is just make it easier because as you mentioned, they're so busy. Their responsibilities have increased, not decreased. People want to do the right thing. And I feel like our job at Serum is how do we reduce the friction for people to do that? We need to make it as easy as possible for someone to donate these medications as it would be for them to destroy them. And off the strength of that, these frontline healthcare workers are just all in. Incredible. So let's talk about charitable pharmacies. And so once you are able to get this medication from all of these different places, you send it directly. What does that look like? Yeah. So again, we provide everything from the recycling bin, a box, prepaid, pre-addressed shipping labels. But we mean as easy as possible. We even send you tape to close the box so that you can send the medication. (laughs) I mean, this is like nurses are so busy. Frontline healthcare workers are so busy. So if it is us sending them a box with a prepaid, pre-addressed label on it, on sticky paper, so they don't have to go find tape to put that label on the box, we will do it. If they need tape to close the box, we will do it. Because, you know, what nurse has packing tape, they may have many, many things in their (laughs) scrub tops. They don't have packing tape. So we'll even send them a kit to pack the box and have everything that they need in it. And then those medications go directly to one of our partners who are a charitable clinic or charitable pharmacy. And I just want to speak just briefly. I don't think many people are aware, just like we have a social safety net, we have a healthcare safety net. We have hundreds and thousands of community health centers, free and charitable clinics that exist in communities all over this country. And they are doing some of the hardest work that there is. They are in service and providing care to people who are uninsured or underinsured, to people who are lower income and still need healthcare. And so we partner with those organizations that are doing this frontline work, actually helping patients and basically get them those medications. And so the model for that is in some instances, There are charitable pharmacies on the ground that are open to communities and open to the public and folks can come in and get their medications. During this pandemic, though, what's been interesting and we've seen a scale up. So one of the partners that we actually helped with the launch, et cetera, is in Georgia. And there is a mail order pharmacy good pill that we helped to launch. 
that does home delivery. I think we've all ordered a lot of things during this pandemic to our door. And I think that there's been a huge shift in healthcare to recognize like, yeah, in some instances, someone maybe needs to come in and be seen and being treated and be evaluated. But are there greater opportunities for us to help people be healthy and not make it another chore that someone has to do? You know, there was a study in, I believe, North Carolina that looked at low-income patients and people and found that a lot of times people were going to the pharmacy up to 35 times a year. That's every other week going to go pick up medications. This is potentially for someone who has transportation issues, childcare issues, maybe works an hourly position where it's hard for them to take off work. Why are we adding another chore for someone to go pick up medications that they need just to stay healthy? So I think we've seen a huge ramp up in also home delivery models and charitable pharmacies like Good Pill in Georgia that are trying to mail medications to people's homes. So it's just checking one more thing off their list so it becomes easier. Now, for anybody listening who knows someone who struggles with medication access, you talked about Good Pill in Georgia. How do people find a serum charitable pharmacy? Yeah, you can go on serum.org. You're right. It's S-I-R-U-M is in medicine dot O-R-G. And you can find more information on the states that we work in. We are working on the kind of distribution side. We're working in about eight states pretty consistently. And our goal is to really scale up because the need is so huge. And we are just at the tipping point and at the very tip of the iceberg of all the people who need this type of support. So you can go on our website, you can look at what states we're already working in, but you can also reach out to us. And I think that there is a lot of opportunities You know, I first just think everyone in this country can and should be involved in understanding our healthcare system. And it's important that you understand it. You know, as you mentioned earlier, so many people, they only understand our healthcare system when they themselves are experiencing an issue or they have a family member or loved one. But I think it's so important that we all understand our healthcare system because, again, it's a major part of this country. It is almost 20% GDP we are spending on healthcare. Like, that's so much money. We spend more money on healthcare than any other developed country, and we don't have the best outcomes. And a lot of this is just because we are not prioritizing access in the way that we should and could. And so I think people can go online. If you know someone who needs support, we will connect you with one of our partners. If it's someone we don't work with, we will still try to connect you because in instances, it's a matter of life and death. Medication saves lives. And so we are happy to help anyone who needs it to figure out kind of what their options are and how they can get the care that they deserve. Yeah, one of the things I love most about this is the opportunity for different people to get involved and help. The medical institutions, like you said, the nurses, it's not just people receiving. Everybody has an opportunity to find a way to do business just a little bit better. And your organization is really providing a service that allows them to be more conscious about the way they do business, about the way they dispose of their medication, about the way they care for patients. And the second point you mentioned that I think deserves to be highlighted is 
educate yourself about the healthcare system. Now, people may say, well, if I'm not sick and I don't know anyone that's sick, like, why do I need to learn about the healthcare system? Because once you get sick or once someone you know gets sick, then you're so emotional and bogged down with all the other stuff that you have to figure out. So the more we take it upon ourselves to get invested in our healthcare system and how things work, at some point in our lives, most likely it'll become useful information because healthcare is pretty overwhelming. So how long have you been doing this serum program? Yeah, so we started as a student group and it is definitely bigger and bolder than I think we could have imagined as, you know, young people kind of in college and shortly after thinking about our lives and the impact that we want to have in this world. So we have been at this since 2011 full time, so about 10 years. And so I'm really proud to say we are the nation's largest redistributor of recycled medications. And we actually just crossed over the barrier of doing over $100 million of medications recently. Congratulations. Thank you, which is pretty big for us, but we have so much more to go. You know, we want to unlock approaching a billion dollars of medications over the next few years and reach over a million people because the need is just so great. And, you know, just to kind of double back to something you talked about earlier, Ellen, about people really needing to be advocates and understanding the healthcare system kind of before you really need it. I think folks are also just not necessarily aware. And I think there's a huge issue of we all know that healthcare is super expensive, but I don't think we all know that we are all collectively in this together and we're all paying for it. Even, you know, from a sheer financial perspective, you know, not taking medicine that someone needs costs our healthcare system up to $300 billion a year in things like avoidable hospitalizations, emergency room visits, you know, even lost productivity at work. So this is a huge, huge cost that we are taking on financially as a country and all of us are paying for this. But there's also a huge environmental piece of we have limited and finite resources on this planet and medications are so important they are the most effective health intervention. They can cure you. They can make things better. They can help you live a livable life if you have a condition that's very difficult. But they're also, you know, they, they take a ton of resources. So to generate like one pound of active ingredient for pharmaceutical can take tens of thousands of gallons of water. So, you know, from an environmental perspective, from a financial perspective, an imperative, like healthcare encapsulates it all and corporate social responsibility, and there's a seat at a table for everyone, corporations can think differently. And I think a lot of them have on what is their responsibility to this planet and to people all the way down to individual consumers. You know, a lot of people aren't aware that you and I could go into a pharmacy and have the same exact medication and be charged a different price based on our type of insurance based on things like that are very complicated, like co-pays, deductibles, you know, high deductible plan, not high deductible plan. There's so much complexity in this system. I think what gets lost is that at the end of the day, we are all users of and experiences of this healthcare system at one point in time. So for sure, understanding the system that is being created, taking an active role in understanding it and then working to change it is something that each and one of us can and should do. I agree with you. So you've been at this, you've been building this business for 10 years. And what would you say to young people who want to follow a path of entrepreneurship or just a business path? What is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned, hard lesson or not? 
I think there's been a lot of lessons <laughs> learned. It's hard to cycle down into one. We hope, right? Yeah. We hope for a lot of lessons. Yeah. So it's hard work. I think one thing, there is a huge, huge kind of campaign and the media talks a lot about, you know, kind of this glamour and glitz of entrepreneurship. I think the everyday is very hard. And I don't think that people completely understand. It's not just the long hours. It's the unknown. So much of what you do is stuff you've never done before, which is huge opportunities for growth. And I think having a growth mindset is so important, but it's also freaking scary. Every day is scary. And every day you hope to learn more and do better. So I think that that's just a baseline that I don't think a lot of people think about. But I think what makes it all worth it is it feels so contrived to say, like, be passionate about the thing that you're doing. And I think that a lot of times people overuse the term or don't understand, like, what does it mean to be passionate? I think it's what is something that every day you are going to feel committed to and want to wake up and tackle the problems of the issue that you've selected. It is feeling either a combination of sadness or anger or, you know, having it knit at you that that's the thing that you want to solve. Because I think it's a long road and feeling committed and interested and engaged in solving that issue is just so important. Otherwise, you're just going to lose steam. So pick a thing that you actually really care about. Pick a thing that makes you angry, that makes you upset. Pick a thing that you want to change, that needs to change in this world. In particular, young people now, I think, are very, very invested in improving this planet and improving you know, society. And I think that's awesome because I think there is a whole field out there of social entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurship of people who are doing just that, who are trying to make big, bold bets on changing society for people who are marginalized. So I think that there's incredible opportunities there that young people should be aware of this exists. And I'm super thankful and honestly very humbled by the idea that I get to wake up every day and do something I love and be in service to humanity. Like that's not something that many people get to say. That's your job is to try to make the world better for people who are marginalized. So I think that that is truly something that people can do. And I don't think that enough is shown and we don't highlight enough the work that people are doing in the social entrepreneurial sector to make the world a better place, to try to take on some of these issues of market failures and ways in which our current systems are just not set up for everyone. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, finding a path that makes your life meaningful, not just when you're young, always, you know, what makes your life feel meaningful at the end of the day with all the minutiae and the frustrations. If you know you're doing something that's meaningful or helping people, you're always going to have that to fall back on. You know, to your point, these big corporations and these people who have been in business and older generation who have been in business and doing things a certain way, they're never going to change the way they do things. It really is up to the younger generations to be innovative and creative like yourself and think of ways to make corporate responsibility easier, to make systems work better, to make systems more inclusive, to make systems more equitable. It really is on the younger generation to be creative and think of those things and then present them to the conglomerates or to, to big business and say, hey, you know, we thought of this and we do need the young generation for it. The concept of creativity, concept of flexibility, concept of adaptability in business specifically 
you know, listen, when you wake up today or yesterday or tomorrow and you have a specific challenge that you're faced with and you had this challenge before and you dealt with it in this way, you may not be able to deal with the same exact challenge the same exact way. You have to come up with another way to solve that problem. And so I think to your point in entrepreneurship, creativity in thinking is also super important because you have to problem solve constantly and you have to come up with different ways of problem solving. I completely agree that creativity and adaptability and agility is the thing that is going to help you win the day and continue to grow and change. I mean, we've had to change our work multiple times. You know, our work in particular is only based on the ability to donate because about 40 states have passed drug donation laws in this country. You know, these Good Samaritan laws, similar to ones allow restaurants to donate food that allow these healthcare institutions to donate medicine. So 15 years ago, we wouldn't even have been able to exist, not even counting the fact that technology has enabled this work to be more scalable, but just from a sheer policy perspective, we wouldn't have been able to do this work in this market of, you know, billions of dollars of unused medications wouldn't have been able to be captured. So we constantly have to be able to adapt to kind of changes to be able to do that. And I think the beauty and the hard thing about startups and doing this work in entrepreneurship, especially when you have impact as your main driver of success, is the adaptability and ability to change because it's something that you have to build into your DNA as an organization and as a team to be able to do things like pivot and change the way your work during a global pandemic. I mean, that was the ultimate change uh, forcing functions for all of us. And I think one thing in particular is just you have to be comfortable with the discomfort because being unsettled, having things change all the time it's not comfortable, right? That's not how we are as human beings. We're not comfortable with that. But I think so much of what I've learned is you have to get more and more comfortable with the discomfort of growth and change. Yeah, I mean, that could apply to so many things also. Kia, I'm so happy that you were able to give me some time today. I love getting to know you and I love hearing about your mission. And I have to say, I am very, very proud to be involved in a company that are your partners in your mission. We are so excited about that as well, because I think, again, businesses understand more and more. Everyone understands more and more that it's not okay to do business as usual. We need to embed and ingrain mission and people in this planet in the work that we do because we're all in this together and that matters. That matters a lot. And so we're super, super excited to partner with you and with Better and be able to advance the mission and advance health equity for people in this country because there's no excuse for us to not be able to give every person in this country the medications that they deserve and need to live a dignified and healthy life. We absolutely can do better. And I'm so happy we had this time together today. And I hope I can speak to you again sometime. Absolutely. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Kia. And give my love to your partners, too. Will do. Have a great weekend. Thank you. 